Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. If you need oil to make the trucking and rail world run, you need to drill to get it. And that's why we call this podcast Drilling Deep. We also call it that because we have a guest each week to talk about a subject of the week. We do drill deep with that person. This week, it's Karen Evanoff. She is head of the supply chain team at a manufacturer of audio equipment called QSC. I heard her speak recently about her company's journey from using antiquated systems to run a complicated supply chain into one where she has adopted the latest cloud-based technology. It's a road that a surprisingly large number of companies have not taken. Karen's going to be here to talk about what hers was like and is like because it isn't complete. Let's talk about energy. Let's talk about oil. Let's talk about diesel. This has been sort of an unprecedented week in the diesel market because one of the numbers that everyone waits for didn't appear. And as I record this, we don't know when it will come out. I'm talking about the weekly average retail diesel price for the country as a whole that is released every Monday by the Energy Information Administration. That number comes out from the EIA. That number that, that, that comes out from the EIA is the basis for fuel surcharges all across the country, except in California. It was going to come out Tuesday this past week because of the Juneteenth holiday on Monday. And by late Tuesday afternoon, if you were waiting for it, out came nothing. By 7 p.m., one had to wonder what was going on. Could this have been because of the methodology change that the EIA implemented a week earlier? That was tough to think because it hadn't been this late the week earlier, which was the first week of the new methodology. Maybe it was because the market was volatile, but that was not likely. The system is designed to take lots of inputs and come out with a number for that week. So what if it was volatile? But then the EIA added a note to its webpage that the prices were delayed. And it was delayed because of a technical problem. That morphed into a broader statement that no data from the EIA, except for a natural gas report, was going to come out on time. And that finally became a statement made by the EIA to Freightways that nothing was going to come out this week at all, at least for petroleum. Forget that natural gas report. Here's what we can tell you. When the price does come out, it will be for June 20th. That was Monday. That was Monday. That was the holiday. So even though it was going to be issued June 21st because of Juneteenth, it still would have been for data the EIA collected a day earlier. Also, given that it is going to carry that effective date, it means that even though there might be two weeks from the time the June 20th price is released and the most recent published price back on June 13th, it won't be as if there is no price to be used as a basis for a fuel surcharge equation. So companies that are billing their shippers for the fuel surcharge can go back and drop that number in after the fact. But that doesn't mean that there aren't any issues created. It does mean that any billing done in the days right after the missed publication can't get done with an accurate fuel surcharge. That's a big issue in an industry where cash flow is such a concern. The issue of getting paid rapidly is so significant that a whole business to pay drivers quickly, called factoring, developed to serve that need. So if invoices from carriers to shippers can't go out for a week, because there's no fuel surcharge, well, that's a problem. A spokesman for the EIA said the issue is hardware. It also is severe. To hear of a system down an entire week, and it wasn't said to be a cyber attack, that's pretty rare. Ultimately, the industry will get its information. But in a crazy volatile market, having a key benchmark that is used to provide pricing stability for carriers have that suddenly disappear is a significant issue for the trucking market to deal with. We're going to move on here on Drilling Deep. 
I recently attended the Gartner Supply Chain Symposium in Orlando. It was almost 2,700 people strong. That meeting, which is a big one, obviously, was meeting for the first time since 2019. The best way to get a sense really of any meeting is, and who it's targeted at, is to walk the floor of the exhibition hall and look at the booths and what are they selling and who are they selling it to. And on the exhibition floor of the Gartner Show is very little hardware and lots and lots of software. I can tell you that Freightways were there. They're selling our Sonar Market Dashboard product. And who else was there? Companies like Four Kites and Transplace and Blue Yonder, companies that provide visibility and software services to the people in America who manage the supply chains of their respective companies, whether it's for materials coming in or finished products going out. One of the booths, I can't remember which one, uh, had a sign-up that made reference to people who run their supply chains on, a, on, on spreadsheets still. And that was a sort of cultural reference you heard throughout that there were still parts of the supply chain operating on antiquated technology like spreadsheets rather than a more integrated cloud-based system. And it was time to switch, presumably to the product of the person selling it. And then I went to a presentation by a woman named Karen Evanoff. She is the vice president for global supply chain at QSC, which is a manufacturer of audio products, among other things. As she spoke, I thought I just had to have her on Drilling Deep because she is exactly the type of person that that sign was talking about. An antiquated supply chain management system that is in the process of transformation. Karen, welcome to Drilling Deep. Thanks for inviting me, John. It's good to be here. And let's start by telling us what QSC is all about. Well, QSC is a company that's uh, probably 50 plus years, is 50, over 50 years old. It started as an audio company. I think a lot of people in the music industry know who we are um, based on if you're a musician, a DJ, you you know put uh, systems in you know stadiums or what have you, you know who we are. But um, in the last over 10 years, we really focused on it, creating this new division called AVIT or what we're now referring to as QSIS, which is the audio, video and control portion, which allows, which really has been booming, especially since this work from home environment. But, you know, you have a lot of, of our things are in NFL stadiums, Disney entertainment, home office, um, industrial complexes, you just name it. So it's just speedily growing. And each side has unique challenges in the supply chain. And let's establish your bona fides. You are not an audio expert, though maybe you are now, but you are a supply chain expert. You spent your career in the supply chain. Exactly. I'm, I I really believe that in supply chain, you should be able to go anywhere. A part is a part is a part. It's all about moving it. And where is it? So, yeah, my background is very heavily supply chain. I started at the very bottom rung at a, a very large, what's very large company now, Western Digital, and grew up that supply chain. My main focus was... Um, semiconductor, semiconductor manufacturing, the supply base, working on relationships, category management, and um, really, really taught me a lot before the discipline really became now a, a, an official discipline in many, many schools and universities. Yes, I, I was looking at your LinkedIn. I, got, I gather you have a graduate degree in, in supply chain. Um, yeah. let, let's, uh, let's talk about, you know, you're, you're kind of the, the, the classic before and after picture. Let's talk about before. I don't know how long you've been at QSC. Um, it's uh, fairly recent, I think, if I believe right. And so you six walked years. into a situation. I'm sorry, how long? Six years. Okay, so you walked into a situation that was very much the before picture. And really, mm -hmm. any organization should always be changing so it never gets stable. But talk about the kind of system, uh, supply chain management system that you had prior to this transformation. And uh, what were some of the drawbacks? 
Well, I came on board and, you know, the audio business prior to me coming on board was relatively simple, but um, it was growing as well. So it was a very elementary system, so to speak. They had recently, um, I guess, uh, uploaded the new version of Oracle, but I don't think the team there really knew what they didn't know. And so when you kind of let it just go the way of the dodo, it just kind of did stuff. So the basic functionality was there, but not a lot more. So we did a lot on spreadsheets, just spreadsheet management. Can you get this report for me? Telling somebody in IT, get me this report. Can you do this? We clued it together. We get an answer. It takes forever to get the answer. Um, we had shortages all over the place. We didn't really know why. Um, why? How come we didn't buy it? It wasn't shortages because of the market like we have today. It was just, oh, oops, how come I didn't buy that? Oh, it wasn't on a bomb. I mean, you just name it. We had all kinds of issues. So it was a very rudimentary system. So what was the, how did the process begin or how did it take 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 form that you said, okay, we, we have to do something. I'm presuming you probably said more cloud-based, more holistic that took care of the whole thing and maybe not the whole thing, but a good chunk of your operations under one software umbrella. How did that, how long did that process take for you to start thinking that you had to do this before it became reality? Well, I mean, every time I look at some kind of improvement, we have to look at it from like three pillars, people, process, and technology. So first it was people. I had, I didn't have really a strong organization uh, in functional air, various functional areas. Like we had buyers, right? But we really didn't have specialists in sourcing or in the demand uh, management side of things. So, you know, really first assessing what were our biggest pain points and what were the organization's pain points, not just supply chain, but what was supply chain doing that we could help with if we had a better process and system? And then did it require me to change the management? So all three of those things happen, right? And the biggest one and our biggest burning platform was, you know, we had shortages because we didn't have the right forecasts. And so we were, I found out our buyers were doing the forecasting. And so we brought, we figured out how to fix that forecast process first and then engage the right stakeholders, sales. And then we started to say, okay, how do we track this? Because we couldn't do it on Oracle. We didn't have that system or module. And so I started to investigate, you know, what's happening in the industry because to do something with Oracle was still four walls. And I knew coming from the previous company, I didn't want to stay old. So we started investigating various platforms that could give us, you know, what we needed and then still allow for scalability long term. Right. And lest, lest anybody is sitting on the edge of their seats and wanting to know who you ultimately went with, why don't you tell us? Well, we'll get to the process again, but who, who ultimately did you choose? We chose E2Open. So we chose E2Open for their demand. We, right now, we've implemented their demand and supply side. And then this year, we're, we're doing a lot more. Okay. We'll get into that, I'm sure. One thing when, I, when I've written stories on this and when I was on the floor of the Gardner Supply Chain Symposium, it really strikes me that most of these systems, they have to, there's a core, uh, a core of uh, processes, a core of services that they all have to provide. And the things that distinguish them are certainly probably on the margin. It's not just price, uh, but you know the, that we do this and the others don't, and that company does that and others don't. So is that a correct assessment? Did you find mostly sameness, but with a, you know, a benefit here, a benefit there that each company had and touted? I, I think depending on what you're looking to solve, the problem you're looking to solve, you can find a lot of people, especially now with all of these new companies, you can find somebody that can do what you need probably in, across several 
suppliers. But I think if you have a holistic vision, then you're going to find, okay, unless I want to buy this and then spend money with my IT group to integrate that with this other thing and then this other thing and then this other thing, if you don't have a vision, you might end up saying, I'm going to buy this and then this and then this. Or you could be a very large company with things that work. So you need specific functionality and there could be several. So if you looked at the planning suite, there could just be several, right? And, and from when I looked at it to now, there are even more that, were out, that are out there that I, didn't, I wasn't aware of when we were evaluating or they were still very, very tiny when we were evaluating them. So, um, but my focus wasn't just supply and demand. It was collaboration in, in the entire ecosystem so I could create a control tower at the end of the day that suffices to satisfy all my customers as well as being able to connect all the way downstream through my suppliers and my supplier suppliers. When you signaled to the market that you were going to be in the market for their services, were you just absolutely inundated? Uh, you know, that was a pretty big floor of garden. There was a lot of providers there. I've got to think almost all of them probably reached out to you one way or the other. Well, I don't know if all of them did because first I do a lot of research and, you know, I like to find out who's who. And then um, I start calling. So I get emails every day. Um, I can solve this problem for you. I can solve this problem. And if, if I had to answer every email, I'd go crazy. And everyone will come in and tell you, oh, I can do this and I can do this. Even ERP systems right now, which I think I mentioned to you before that, you know, they weren't even in attendance at Gartner. Every year prior to me attending Gartner, you would have the big ERP guys on that floor with huge booths, not one of them were there this year. So, you know, you can get people saying, I can do all of this, but if you aren't really clued into what you want to solve for and don't have a vision, you may end up with the wrong tool. That's why you need to understand your process and your go forward. So I, I kind of took the noise and I made them do their little presentation if I thought they were relevant. And then I asked questions. If they didn't meet that question, they were just out of the running from the, from the second. So what was the timeline in terms of First of all, I, I think you've stated that you're not done. I guess in this kind of thing, nobody's ever done, but, right. but you still consider the transformation to really be uh, not in the ninth inning. Um, so when did you kind of really, when do you date this from starting from and, and where are you now? Well, I think if I've been here six years and I think the second year is when we started evaluating and we, we just did demand. And that was, first, I want to train everybody on what is demand management and forecasting, right? So now we get all that stuff and we select our tool and we ask for this tool to be able to do X, Y, and Z, right? I want to be able to, if I need to integrate it from Salesforce, because that was our sales channel, I want to take that information and integrate. Yes, we can do that. I want to be able to have, you know, percentages to say, if it's not this percentage, I want to be able to ignore it and bring these projects in. Um, all kinds of scenario. We ask for scenario-based planning. What if, can I do what if analyses? Can I do X, Y, Z? So we pick the, the E2Open platform for that. And then that implementation, I think, was the longest implementation just because at that time, I had people who didn't know what they didn't know, right? I was slowly building my organizational structure. And then when we, the I would say two years later, supply planning came on board and we got that relatively easily. And that we implemented within six months and we were up and running. But I had a lot of experts by then in the process. And what is, uh, how would you talk about the the management approval of this? Was it like pulling teeth or were you able to make a case pretty easily? And they said, okay, this is a capital investment that this company needs to make. I Well, you know, I have really a great executive team and my boss, he's fantastic. So, 
you know, as long as you make a case and, you know, you have to be reasonable, you can't boil the ocean and we're not a, you know, multi-billion dollar company yet. We're on our way to get there, but, you know, we, we still needed to have something. So it had, you have to go back to your supplier, negotiate, and then you work with your management. So my management was very supportive because I basically said, here's what we're trying to do. And by doing this, we'll be able to do X, Y, and Z. And I'll tell you, if we didn't have both the demand and supply running when we did, when COVID hit us, we could not have reacted as quickly as we did because we were able to pull up scenarios. Okay, what if we did this? What would our revenue look like? What if we did this? What would our inventory look like? And by by having that like this, we were able to get information back to our suppliers and back to our executive team and to our customers much more quickly than had we still been on the old, you know, to get that report out of Oracle, print it out, kludge it together. We had those scenarios already built. So you said you had to go to your management and say, if, if we do this, we'll, we'll be able to do X, Y, Z. And instead, maybe not instead, but in addition to you got maybe a, a 27th letter, which was, a, you know, P plus for pandemic. So w- would you say that even if you hadn't been able to do X, Y, Z, that the way it helped you get through the pandemic would have been justification enough? Well, uh, totally. You know, with with hindsight, that totally would have been justification enough. But I think because my executive team and especially my direct manager, the CEO and president of our company, he basically was kind of before he hired me was kind of running this you know side of the business. So I think he knew kind of what kind of pains we were going through, not to the extent that the people who did the work you know at the detail level did. And I I feel like he was he just wanted to enable the supply chain team and and he did and and we garnered a lot of respect in these last 3 years because people now know what we did it wasn't just just go place this po and can you go away it was a lot more than that uh how much do your suppliers have to buy into this uh, are they just confronted one day with a different way of interacting with you do they have to make a lot of technology changes or is it do you try to make it fairly seamless for them well, it is. This is one of the reasons we picked E2 Open. So, like for example, if I had decided to say I want to go with Oracle, even though they couldn't do what I'm trying to get to, I would have had to talk about licensing. I would have had to create um, the EDI link that is, you know, uh, our the way they want to link with us because of other technical issues. It would have to be you have to do it our way or no way. The the beauty of the E2 Open Suite is, first of all, they have so many suppliers on there, hundreds of thousands of suppliers on there. And what I found in the research is all my critical suppliers are already on this platform with other customers. So that's going to make that easy. But let's say I have a small guy. So everybody has a niche supplier somewhere that might be small, but you have to use them because they're the only guy in town that does that particular technology. They may only be able to send you a an email with a spreadsheet. E, the beauty of E2 Open is E2 Open can take that and incorporate that, digest it, and bring it into the platform. And so now they're part of your system. Even though they're small, they can immediately, all that data is there, and now you have your dashboard, and they're included in it. So you can you have the ability now to build onto that control tower, which is encompassing as many suppliers as you can possibly get, versus I'm only going to bring on three suppliers because it's too hard and it's so serial. These guys, you can onboard as many as you want, as fast as you want. Did you know, did you need to make changes in your labor force? Do you need to hire a different kind of pe- person than maybe you had previously? Did you have people that you already had who just really couldn't keep up because of the changes? 
I think it's a combination of both. I, I was going through organizational changes in my team anyway, and the team prior to that had no background in this. The team I have now has a little bit more background. I do have a dedicated supply chain systems manager in my group who is the liaison between supply chain, sales ops, and IT. Um, and that has helped. And and it's been a lot of education on what does digital mean? I mean, you know, you'll hear people say it's a buzzword. That's not a true statement, but it means different things to different people. And when I speak of digital transformation, I'm speaking specifically from the perspective of a supply chain, whether it be from a customer facing supply chain from outside in or from the supplier side of it, which is their side into us. So you have that now whole ecosystem attached that you can actually see visible, you know, data real time. But when you make a commitment like this to a company like E2Open, I'm not asking you when you're going to get rid of them. <laughs> it may sound like that. But how long a, a commitment is it to a particular set of software before you would really take a look at alternatives? Well, I mean, it, once you make a commitment, especially when you're making the commitment like we want to do, which is the full platform, I, I mean, Today we have a meeting with them and we hope to take our next steps on our phase two. And um, it's it's a platform approach. Um, the beauty is they they have all these modules. And if you work with them as a partnership, they really, really work with you. Um, a lot easier, I think, than some of the big ERP guys in the industry. It you you have a lot of practitioners on the E2 open side. But yeah, it's if you were to rip something out, especially the demand and supply side, and put something else in. It is a huge effort. So, you know, if let's say somebody was on ERP and using the Demontra side of Oracle and it worked fine, to rip that out might take a lot of time. And somebody might want not want to do it, but they might say, all right, now I want to go to this element that only E2Open has. So E2, the beauty of E2Open is you can connect and interface with your current things and then build upon that, right? But if I were to start going down that path, then I'd have to really seriously think of why I'm ripping out. It would have to be a really good reason for me to rip something out. That's why you have to constantly be working with a company that's constantly looking at where do I want to be when I grow up as well. So they are fully focused on a multi-enterprise collaboration platform, which is where I want to be. As they say, possession is 90% of the law, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you one final question. So let's say you go to the Gartner conference next year and you get introduced to somebody who was in the same situation that you were a few years ago using spreadsheets, using antiquated tools, but maybe they're about to embark on the kind of journey uh, that QSC did. What kind of advice do you give them? Um, it again, it depends on you know what their burning platform is. I would say, first of all, don't get overwhelmed because there's so much out there and there's so much that changes all the time. But figure out what your burning platform is. Is it is it forecasting? Are you not getting a forecast? And so you're always running into shortages, forgetting the fact that we have shortages in the market. But if you can't even get good visibility to what's coming down the pipeline, and, and that means not in the first three months, but listen, at least 18 months, right? Can you give me a forecast? And are, can you track the metrics to that forecast? And are you bringing that information back? Maybe that's your problem. So then you start to look at demand planning solutions. And then you start to say, what do I want to be able to accomplish? And then really vet that solution out. And, and always think of people, process, and technology. If you don't know how things are being done, in your company, then it will be very difficult for you to assess a tool that will meet the needs, right? So figuring out the pain points of the people who are stakeholders and saying, can you, will you be able to help us with this, 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 and demo it and ask to talk to people who are using the solution 
specifically. And then those people will help you, right? If you don't have a Gartner seat and get advisors, the people who are using the tool already, who are who you could talk to, will help you vet other questions. Well, I think it should be noted that when Karen finished her address at uh, Gartner, she was surrounded by people who were asking, I guess, a lot of the questions like that, like that kind of thing, like, how do I do this? And it took me yep. probably a full 20 to 25 minutes to kind of cut through the crowd and be able to have you here as a guest on Drilling Deep today. So, Karen, we want to thank you. Thank you so much, John. It was a pleasure talking to you today. So we've been talking to Karen Evanoff. She is the vice president of the global supply chain at QSC, a manufacturer of audio products, among other things. You have been listening to Drilling Deep. Drilling Deep is part of the Freightcast family of podcasts from FreightWaves. You can find us on all of the leading podcast platforms. I'm your host, John Kingston, and please join us again. Thank you.